Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to 12 Noon on Facebook, live at Waters Church here in the studios up on the third floor of our John Deach Square location mm. in Massachusetts, right along Route 95. And if you're joining us online, I'm so glad to see you today. We're going to be talking about spiritual gifts again because we didn't get to finish this up last week, so we will finish it up today. My name is Tim. Joining me in the studio is Chris. And this is The Deep End. This is The Deep End Podcast. Hey, 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 everybody back with us today. So Chris is in the studio with me again. We are going to just finish up 1 Corinthians 14 in just a moment. You know, last week we had a good talk about spiritual gifts, Chris. Yeah, it was great. But we just didn't have enough time to get through this whole chapter, and it is 40 verses. Yeah, it's, and tough so, text at the end. I'm sure you want to have a good amount of time to talk about. Yeah, and a very tough text at the end, so that's where we're going to talk about it. It's one of the most confusing uh, scriptures in the New Testament. Right. Um, and if you're online watching us live, we always like to know where you're watching from, so just comment below and let us know where you are watching from. Always interesting to find that out. It is. We learned this past weekend that people were watching the services from China. Israel. Israel. Paris. Wow. Metapoiset. Mars. Um, <laughs> not yet, but we're working on it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everybody's watching from all kinds of places. It is really cool to see that happening. Yeah. We love technology here at Waters Church. And technology is not to be criticized by the church. It shouldn't be. Technology is amoral. Yeah, we can use it for the good. It is a tool. Yeah. So you are watching via technology right now or listening on SoundCloud or on the uh, podcast app of your choice. Mm -hmm. But the Deep End Podcast is a uh, Bible study on your time kind of podcast. I'm your host, as always, Tim Hatch, pastor at Waters Church, North Attleboro, and uh, we are glad to have you. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about some things, though pertaining to our church coming up, Chris? Yeah, real quick, uh, this weekend in North Attleboro at 8 a.m., we have a work day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're just asking everybody to show up that cool. wants to help out for that. And when Socket is having their own work day, it's called the uh, the Parks and School Cleanup Day. It's 11 a.m. to 3 o'clock, and that's going to be right at the middle school where we have service every single Sunday at 1030. So if you've never experienced it, you want to see what, what they're all about, please help out there and check out the church at 1030 on Sunday. Yeah, that would be really cool. Winsocket. You know, to bless the city of Winsocket. Yeah. That's why we're there. Yeah. Amen. So it's very important that we always um, make that the goal of being the church. We want to be the church that um, blesses the communities in which we live, mm. in which we worship. Christianity presents the good news of Jesus Christ, and if it's good news for us, it should be good news for everybody. And uh, that means it's good news because we live out what our faith practices. Amen. All right. So let's get into this talk, Chris, because this one, Mm -hmm. we're going to stir some feathers. Yeah, uh, we might get a bunch of questions on this. We'll see. Maybe. Mm -hmm. If you have questions, please fill them out in the comments below. We'll get to them at the end, like last week. But this is the Corinthian passage that uh, drives a lot of people nuts. In fact, I was thinking about this. I have never heard a preacher preach on this text. Really? And I've been in this Christian church for... 36, well, since I was born, but uh, I've been cognizant of that reality since I was five, so 36 years. And I can't think off the top of my head of one guy who had the tenacity to... (laughs) Except the guy right in front of me right now. Yeah, yeah, we're going to go there. We're going there. Now, if you were with us last week, you remember that we were talking about spiritual gifts Mm -hmm. because uh, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is 
a spiritual gifts passage. But remember that 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 falls in the context of 1 Corinthians 11, which is talking about the public gathering of the church. This started way back in 1 Corinthians 11 when he talks about praying and prophesying in public and women and men and the differences and headship and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then he gets into spiritual gifts in chapter 12, then love chapter 13, back to spiritual gifts in chapter 14. And by the end of chapter 14, he's back to dealing with women in church and men in church and the differences and all that kind of stuff. And this passage, if we were to lift it off of the context in which it resides, we could use this context to really uh, demoralize women in the church. Um, I would actually guess that it has been used to demoralize women in the church. Mm. Uh, it can be used to really be um, a very negative message sure. to women in the church. Because if you just read it, and I'm going to read it in a moment, and you're going to see what I mean, it sounds very negative, but you've got to read the scriptures in context. Right. One of the number one ways every cult gets started mm. is because they take one little passage of scripture and they lift it off the page and they say, that's the main idea of the Bible. Yeah, cherry picking. Cherry yeah. picking, yes. No good. So this is a problem that most people have with the scriptures too because we take all kinds of passages, we lift them out of the original context, we don't see what God was saying, to whom God was saying it, when God was saying that. Right. And then we think, okay, well, I'll apply this to my modern day life. Sure. It doesn't work. No, dangerous, too. You've got to interpret Scripture. And the other thing that we got to do is we've got to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Right. That's good. Before we make an interpretation, why don't we check what other passages of Scripture have to say about this? Mm -hmm. Because all Scripture, Paul says, is God-breathed mm -hmm. and is profitable for teaching, training, correcting, and rebuking in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. And so we've got to look at Scripture in its entirety. Uh, one of the things that I am a big fan of is telling people constantly that the Bible is a story. The Bible is a story that is told with several different types of literature or genres. First Corinthians is a letter, an epistle, if mm -hmm. you will. Uh, it is a personal correspondence of an individual to a group of individuals who worship the same God through the Lord Jesus Christ in a city in ancient Rome called Corinth. So right. you can't take Corinthians and lift it out of its original context and say, well, this is what it means now. No, you have to first find out what does it mean then, and then draw from that the eternal principles that God is laying out in his word. Right, yeah. So this is like, you know, this, I'm just kind of building a foundation here for what we're going to talk about because right. there are her hermeneutical principles that apply to biblical interpretation. This is, by the way, why I'm not a big fan of Bible studies. Yeah, can get dangerous too. They get yeah. very dangerous. People interpreting their own. Yeah. And, and even in our small groups, we don't ask our small group uh, leaders to ask the members, what do you think the, pas the yeah. passage means? No. No, we have declared what it means on the weekend. Right. And we're going to ask you now, hey, how has this worked out in your life? How have you wrestled with this? How can we pray with you, support you? You know, all those, all those kind of things. And, and people have got to remember this, the Bible and what the Bible, well, what the Bible is. The Bible is a collection of ancient genres, uh, ancient books, ancient letters. Some is, again, Letters, personal correspondence, some is poetry, some is song, some is narrative history, some is the interpretation of narrative history, mm -hmm. such as uh, Judges chapter 4, it talks about the uh, deliverance of uh, Deborah and Barak, who deliver Israel from Sisera, king of Hazor, and, uh, and the king of Hazor, and then chapter 5, the very next chapter is the 
theological poetic interpretation of those events. Okay. So right there, chapter to chapter, you yeah. have narrative history and then poetic interpretation. Right. That's good. Yeah. So we we can't ever just take every passage of scripture the same way. There are th- there are uh, scientific. Okay, and that's a that's a word that we don't throw around much in biblical interpretation. Sure, but, but it is there. a science. Mm-hmm. It is a scientific way in which we uh, interpret the ancient text, what it meant, what God is revealing in in the text, and then how do we apply it to our lives today. This requires some semblance of training. Uh, theological instruction. Mm-hmm. This is why when you get a master's degree in theology, it usually takes three years. Okay, it's not a, a one-year master's degree program. It is a intensive uh, a program. There are there are systems and there are uh, principles that have got to be practiced in the interpretation of the text. And I'm saying all this again to lay a foundation for the fact that you caught you have got to. Uh, have a high regard for God's word yeah. and the interpretation and the process of interpretation of God's word because what is on these pages is so en- so enormously important for our lives. Yeah. So anyway, long diatribe there <laughs> to get to the point of I'm going to do my best to interpret this passage in a way that I believe is going to be life-giving uh, is going to also be challenging, mm-hmm. and I think it's also going to hopefully bring a lot of clarity to women and church uh, and what Paul is saying in this letter to the Corinthians. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to read the passage we're going to talk about today, Okay. the last portion, portion of um, 1 Corinthians 14. Then we're going to back up so that we just reorient ourselves around the context of 1 Corinthians yeah, 14. good. All right, good. So, so let's get there. Verse 26 of chapter 14, Paul says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be two or three at the most. And each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. Here's the, here we go. Here we go. Pay attention. Trouble passage, okay? As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or, or, and then verse 36, or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the ones it is are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command from the Lord or mm. of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Okay, so that's the passage. Yeah. Again, the Corinthian context of 1 Corinthians 14 is there was chaos in the church because people were speaking in tongues at a turn, mm-hmm. prophesying however they saw fit. And now we're going to see another problem that he addresses here at the end of the chapter is the women were chattering. The women were talking way too much in the church. Okay. Okay, and so that's one of the problems that he's addressing in the context of order and um, peace and, you know, profitability in the 
church gathering. Okay. okay. Yeah, so for the service. That's the context. Let's yep. back up, though, and cover 1 Corinthians 14 again. Because remember, he says that you've got to pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. This is verse 1, mm-hmm. especially prophecy. So we talked about prophecy last week, and we said that prophecy is the ability to see and declare reality the way God sees it. Right. Which is a beautiful gift. Yeah. In, chapter, in verses 2 to 3, he talks about the fact that prophecy... Uh, speaks to people for their upbuilding, and we talked about how that is like building a house, or the another uh, definition of that word oikos demos in the Greek is to increase the potential of someone. So prophecy is that is that ability to speak to someone and say, "I see in you God's gift of this, right. or I see God doing this in your life," and it should increase their potential. It should never cause people to feel terrible about who they are. Yeah. It, it should up. never, you know, yeah. It should never tear down. It should build up. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, he says for their upbuilding encouragement, which is the same word there that John, that Paul, that Jesus, I'm sorry, <laughs> that Jesus uses of the Holy Spirit in John 14 to 16. Yeah. So if it is the gift of the Holy Spirit, it should do what the Holy Spirit does. Yep. Encourage and bring and put courage into people and then consoles or consolation, which is the Greek word paramuthia. And that mean and that basically means to bring comfort. And remember I said this last week, comfort comes from the old French, which is come, which means to come alongside or bring, yeah. and fort, which is the word we get forts from you know, you know fortitude from, mm-hmm. strength. Mm-hmm. So comfort should bring strength to people. The gift of prophecy should do three things. It should build people up and increase their potential. It should encourage them in Christ and in their walk with Christ, and it should bring strength to their life. And when the gift of prophecy is operational in the church, what you have is you have a potent church. Mm-hmm. You have a, a courageous church, right. and then you have a strong church. Yeah, but when that gift is not used, you don't have those things. Right. So that's why you've got to pray. That's why Paul is so clear in verse 1. He says you've got to earnestly desire yeah. this spiritual gift. Yeah. This spiritual gift is going to benefit your church in ways you can't imagine. Because I think about this at, uh, at Waters Church, and you got to think about this at your church, where, wherever you go to church. Every, every time somebody comes to Christ, I, I think we fail to see the potential of that person. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because that person coming to Christ is coming with seeds of greatness, I think. Yeah. Seeds that God is going to stir up in them. Yeah. Seeds that God is going to grow and develop and nurture, and over time you're going to see. You never know. That person that you reach for Christ, are they going to be a great prophet? Are they going to be a great missionary? Are they going to be mm. a great CEO of a, of a legendary company, but yet uphold Christian values in the company? Yeah. All these, all these things. So this is why the Christian movement is so potent and powerful. It's because when God gets a hold of somebody, he can do unfathomable yeah. things through them. Yeah, amen. You know, that's what the Bible testifies to from Joshua to Joseph to Moses to Peter to John. I mean, these guys were nobodies that God took and turned into the ultimate somebody. Sure. And we see it at our church all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love seeing people step into their gift and love seeing people step into courageous moments of their faith. You know, taking that first step of faith to preach or to teach children in our children's ministry, mm. even to play guitar on stage or to greet somebody at the door. You know, for some people, that's a very big step. It is. It to is. just be a greeter. Sure. You know, and you think some people, they, they don't think they're worth anything. They get up in front of people and they greet people and then suddenly that just that smiling face makes all the difference for somebody coming into our building. Yeah. And so I just think about that, that when the church prophesies and excels in this spiritual gift, which Paul <laughs> calls us to excel in, we release potential, we bring 
courage to people and we bring strength to the body of Christ. So he just makes that clear again in verse four. That he says, look, tongues, you speak to yourself, you build up, your, I mean, you, spe- you speak to God, but you build up yourself. But prophecy, it builds up the church. Verse five, he says, I want you to speak in tongues. That's great. I, but I want you more so to prophesy. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Prophecy, better than tongues. Mm. Prophecy, better than tongues. Listen to me, all you Pentecostals and Charismatics out there. Prophecy <laughs> better than is tongues. better than tongues, <laughs> right? Because, t- because prophecy will build up your church. Amen. And then he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. So he's like, again, I love the gift of tongues. I'm so glad for it. And I said this last week that I think that tongues is a spiritual gift that God gives to stubborn people. Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot. Yeah, and, and then somebody in the comments, I watched the comments afterwards, and I saw that they, they, they quoted um, Romans. Right. Uh, eight, the Spirit himself intercedes for us uh, in our weaknesses because we don't know what we ought to pray for. Yeah, I remember that great, was Nancy. Yeah. yeah, that's a great text yeah. because I didn't even think about that text, and, and she made me think about it, and just, uh, that's true. So yeah. maybe he gives the spirit of the, the gift of tongues to the spiritually stubborn, such as yours truly, uh, and Paul the Apostle, mm-hmm. and maybe he gives the gift of tongues to the very spiritually weak who, mm-hmm. who are so ignorant of what they should be, pray for because they're so weak, even timid in themselves and in their thinking of themselves, that the gift of the Holy Spirit comes and intercedes for them yeah. through, through that method. And builds them up. And builds them up, right. So that was a great find. Nancy, uh, verse 23, he says, Look, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders and unbelievers enter, will they not say you're out of your minds? Now, last week I said this, and I wonder if bears repeating. Paul expects three kinds of people in the church. Paul expects three people, three kinds of people to show up. Believers, number one. And for believers, tongues are for them, but mostly for private prayer. Right. Okay. Then he says unbelievers. They're going to come. Unbelievers are people who will never believe. It doesn't matter what you do, no matter how cool your church is, no matter how hard you work to reach them for Christ, no matter how hard you try to love them, it's just never going to happen. Right. I remember a number of years ago, it was on the ChristianPost.com. Uh, this guy, uh, he was a, an avowed atheist his whole life. Okay. And then he became a Christian. Right. And it was like, why did he become a Christian? Because somebody, some Christians came by his house and fixed up his property or something like that. Something, they did an act of kindness. Okay. So he became a Christian. Okay. It lasted one week. Yeah. It's, it's a reaction. <laughs> he was, he was back a... to, yeah, he was back to atheism. Because, yeah, right. Because our, our works do not save people. Uh, salvation is the sovereign work of God's grace mm-hmm. upon people's hearts. It is the gift of God to believe in God. I say this all the time, yeah. and that's because we have to remind ourselves that we are saved by grace and not through our works. So that means we cannot boast. And when you eliminate boasting from a group of people and everybody is on equal footing before God, you create commonality. You create sweet fellowship. You create a lack of pride amongst the people. Yeah. And that's when we let down our guard and we serve one another and we open our lives to each other and we care for one another no matter where they come from or what they look like because we were once foreigners to God's promise and by his amazing grace, he brought us in. Amen, yeah. Nothing better than that. Yeah. So he expects unbelievers, though, to be there and unbelievers will just never come to faith. Look, it's a sad reality. Mm. There's another passage where Paul says to Timothy, he says, look, I say this with tears in my eyes, Timothy. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Mm. And, you know, we all have unbelievers in our lives and our response to unbelievers should always be to love them no matter what they believe. Right. But ultimately, never ever rejoice that they're going to suffer eternal condemnation. No. We should, we should, we should weep over it. The great D.L. Moody, the evangelist of the 19th century, the, the, the forerunner, you could say, of Billy Graham, mm-hmm. um, he uh, preached on hell uh, regularly. And I forget who said this. I forget who said this. It was some notable name in the 1800s. 
He said, the only preacher, and I don't think he was a believer, the only preacher that I will ever listen to speak on hell is D.L. Moody. And it's because every time he talks about hell, he does so with tears coming down his face. Wow. And that should be our attitude. We don't want unbelievers. We want to care about it. Look, God wills that none should perish. He doesn't want anyone to uh, to be lost. The fact of the matter is, though, that the human heart is stubborn. And it takes a sovereign miracle of God's grace to, tr- to convert them. And then there's that outsider. This is the third group of people, the outsiders, the inquirers. These are people who are looking to get into the faith but are not yet there. And so he says, look, don't speak in tongues around them. Don't speak in tongues because they will think you're crazy. Right. And they will not come back. Mm-hmm. And I've had that happen to my, uh, I've seen that happen many times growing up in the Pentecostal movement. And still being a Pentecostal myself, but I've learned that, you know what, tongues are for my own private prayer life, mm-hmm. and uh, they are not for that inquiring, you know, coming to faith person. Right. It may eventually be a gift that God gives that person, but it is not for me to decide who who, who gets what gifts. That's God's, that's God's department. Sure. Okay, then verse 24, he says, if I'll prophesy, uh, oh, I'm sorry, we just kind of unpacked this, but right. he says, look, if you prophesy, the unbeliever or the outsider comes in, and you don't know. Who's the unbeliever? Who's the asset? You don't know. Okay, so we don't make those judgment calls. He says, look, you're prophesying, and the secrets of his heart will be disclosed. He'll fall on his face. He'll worship God, and he'll say, man, God is really among you. And that is why the gift of prophecy is so important to the church. It's how conversion happens. Mm. Okay, now let's get back into verse 26, which is the passage we're talking about today. The good stuff. The good stuff. So when you, he says in verse 26, when you come together. So everything that he's talking about from here on out is... Uh, the gathering of the church should look like this. Okay. Based on what I taught you, he says, on tongues and prophecy and the gifts. That's Those are theological predicates on which to build the experience for the people who are coming into your assembly. All three okay. types of people that yeah. you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so then he says, every, each one, and, and it doesn't mean that everyone, he means that each one has, and that means there could be a number of people in your church, they have a song or hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. He says, look, let these things be done not for their own edification, not for their own glorification or their own sense of self-worth, mm-hmm. but let it be done for building up others. Right. And that is a huge point for spiritual gifts, friends. It is not for your self-glorification or edification. It is for the edification of other people. Right. That's why sometimes I get to church, I don't want to preach. I'm just like, I don't want to be here. (laughs) You know, and the Lord has to remind me, it's not about you. Yeah. It's not about you. It's about feed my people. What did what did Jesus say to Peter after he restored him? He said, Peter, feed my, yeah, if you love me, feed my sheep. Yeah. And I think about how Jesus is restoring Peter, who denied Jesus just about three days earlier. I love that teaching. Yeah. Yeah. And and Jesus is like showing Peter the amazing love of God. I know you betray. I know you denied me, but I'm coming to get you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm going to show you the love of God that way. And now if you respond to that in love to me, then please stop thinking about yourself so much. Right. There you go. (laughs) Get out there and feed my sheep, tend my my lambs, feed my lambs. He says it three times because your salvation, while it is a wonderful gift given to you, it should come through you to bless other people. Amen. And so he says there's some limitations. Let there be limits to what happens in your assembly, Corinthians. And again, Mm. some of you will say, Pastor, we don't have these kind of services in Waters Church, uh, North Attleboro, or Winsocket. What gives? Because we're not Corinth. 
<laughs> yeah. Right. You guys got to realize this too. Corinthians is written to one church in the ancient world mm-hmm. out of several that Paul established. Right. This church was having some chaotic services where tongues were prevalent and prophecies and gifts were prevalent. And he says, okay, fine. If you want to have services like that, that's great. But let's limit what we do. And this is such a huge point to kind of emphasize for the church today. It's great that you have uh, services or worship gatherings. Let's not say services because service actually happens outside the church mostly. No, that's good. Serve, yeah. Yeah, worship experience. We call it worship experiences or worship uh, gatherings. Mm -hmm. But let there be some measure of limitation on what you allow to happen in your gatherings. Yeah. There are some churches that boast about the fact that they have three-hour meetings. Oh, goodness. Three hours, uh, you know, worship experience. What are you doing? I can't send a three-hour-long Star Wars movie. Never mind. Uh, yeah. Or a Marvel Yeah, movie. Marvel's three hours. Did you no. see the latest Marvel No, movie? but I know how it ends. And, Did uh, I ruin spoiler, that for you? A little bit. It's okay. I forgive yeah. you. Bad guy wins. Bad, they I all spoiler for end. everybody on the podcast now, kidding. too. <laughs> <laughs> all right, anyway. Back to this. But there are some services. There are some, there are some churches that have... You know the problems that Corinthians the Corinthians had, which is they love the gift of tongues, and so mm. they let everybody speak in tongues all, and it goes on for hours. Yeah, it's like wait, limit limit what's going on here. So it's a good. I think it's a. I think that's an eternal principle for every church. Every church has to look at how they're gathering together as the assembly and do our meetings. Uh, do our meetings overdo something? Right. Yeah. Even myself lately. And some of you might be pleased to know this, and some of you might not I be. noticed this past weekend. It, it was kind of sh- I'm shorter sh- than normal. I'm shortening yeah. my messages. Yeah. On purpose. On purpose. Yeah. And the reason is because um, I'm thinking about the the attention span of the average human being is not right. that long. Sure. The podcast goes long because some of you are listening to this on your drive. I talk to people all the time. That talk, they and you can pause it. And you can pause it. You can pick it up later sure. or whatever. Uh, and, and by the way, it's Bible teaching, so it's just, you know, take it for whatever you want and use it and, and listen to it however you want. But... The thing is, is in the public gathering, it's a different setting. People are sitting, they're facing forward, and you can only listen for so long. And I'm thinking also about the fact that uh, younger people have an even shorter attention span than older people. And that's not to say for this generation particularly. That's just every generation. Mm -hmm. There's always that younger generation, a little bit shorter of an attention span than the older generation. And I want to reach young people. Right. Because if we don't reach young people, we won't have a church in another generation. Yeah. What's next? So we got to make limitations. That's why our services, we try to keep our services one hour, 15 minutes or below. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's important now. First Wednesday, always an exception. Yeah, well, <laughs> once we a only month. do it once a month, right? Yeah. And anyway, that's not really for the spiritual inquirer. That's for the in-house, you know, core of our church. It's where we always say we get yeah. fed there, you know, yeah. and it's always looked forward to. Yeah. So let there be limits, he says. In in the case of tongues, two. He's like almost saying, look, two, but at the most three. <laughs> so he's really hoping that only two, right? Right. And then he says, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, again, limitation. If there's no limit, if there's no interpretation, then don't speak in tongues. Right. Limit what you do, Christians, for the sake of those who are coming. Because if it's all, if you come to church all about what you want to experience in church, then you're not coming to church for the right reasons. Right. And then verse 29, he says, let two or three prophets speak. So if there's people, and in the case of the Corinthians, I guess this is what happened in the Corinthian gathering. They would let prophets get up and speak spontaneously. Yeah. And he says, in that case, you let two or three prophets, and that's it. And then let others weigh. What is it? So it's not this guy just gets up and says, thus saith the Lord. Right. 
you know, and he just goes off on a tangent and it might be completely unbiblical, completely out of bounds yeah. with Orthodox Christian faith. And you're not supposed to sit there and say, amen. You're supposed, <laughs> there's right. supposed to be some people who sit there and say, wait, let's check that. That does not sound right. Right. You know, or that does sound right. Or that could be more clear here. Or you were partly right here, but scripture reveals that that's actually wrong. And so there's, there's, Li- again, limitations yeah. Order, to what we do. Limitations. Order in the church, yes. Yeah. So he says, if another, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. That's a problematic passage for me because I'm like, okay, if somebody is getting a revelation while somebody else is speaking, mm. then we have the person who gets a revelation interrupt the person who's speaking. I, even me, I don't really understand fully what's being said there. All I'm saying, all I think that if in the in the whole context of the passage is, is he saying, look, just get, get this stuff going. Move on and don't let people bloviate forever. I guess that's how I would interpret verse three. Right. That's, that's up for debate. I'm, I'm not sure about that one. But anyway, we don't have to, we don't have to mince words or argue about the specificity of, of that verse particular, mm-hmm. particularly. Okay, verse 31, then he says, For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Again, there is no such thing in church as I can't help but the Holy Spirit. <laughs> right. It's an excuse. I, I can't help but the Holy Spirit makes me do it. Nope. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. Mm-hmm. So you you cannot just blah, 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 you know, in tongues in the middle of the service and say, Well, that's just how the Holy Spirit moves on me, Pastor. No, 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 no. And then that leaves me now. Because event, evidently. In Corinth, uh, there were a number of people who thought, yes, the Holy Spirit comes upon me and I have this ecstatic experience and I just can't help it. And I just I just start speaking. Right. Okay. Well, evidently. And uh, Paul and I evidently had the same exact experience. OK, <laughs> now, please do tell. OK, because usually and I. OK, I'm going to say something is not politically correct, but it's true. There we go. In my experience, the people who have. That the people, especially in the Pentecostal experience, the people who most often speak out of turn mm-hmm. have been women. Okay, it, it's just it's something about that. I don't know what it is. Um, women do like to talk, and they like to speak, and they like to do stuff. So most of the time, in my upbringing experience, I'm not talking. This is not a universal. But I'm just saying this is probably why Paul goes in the direction that he's about to go to in First Corinthians 14. Yeah, is that their problem most often happens to be that the women just start to speak out of nowhere. And it causes a lot of confusion. And this, and so Paul's going to say there's got to be limitations on that too. Yeah. So here's what he says in verse 33. He says, as in all the, saint, uh, all the churches of the saints, so this is a universal principle, the women should keep silent in the churches, but they're not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Okay. Mm. These are not coffee cup verses. No, I haven't seen that one um, embroidered on anything. Uh, yes, and no. seeing that women do most of the embroidery in yeah. the world. <laughs> <laughs> they, they haven't latched on to this one. I'm no. not seeing them embrace this one as like, you know, putting it on their, on their wall and decor. No. All right, here, let, let's unpack this. He, he's, he's saying women should keep silent. They're not permitted to speak. And then he says, let them learn at home. Mm-hmm. Okay, so all these things this is one whole argument Paul makes. So let's take all the passage parts of the passage and put them together. And then he says it's shameful for women to speak in church. Okay, listen. In verse in First in Corinthians eleven, Paul said uh, that a woman can 
pray or prophesy in the public gathering. Right. So evidently, he's not talking about a woman must zip it right. in church at all times. What he's talking about is in the context of the public assembly, when you're gathered for the teaching of the word, the instruction of the word, and the, listen, what he just talked about, the examination of prophecies. Right. This is not an opportunity for you women to start chattering about what was said. That's what he's saying. Yeah. So it's, he's basically in the context saying, look, and, and, and I can apply this in a very practical way. Because the reality is that men and women are different. And True. Paul knows this most of all. Mm-hmm. Because he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things down for a reason. Right. Okay, so women are different than men. We're living in a context, we're living in a culture that is desperately trying to deny right. that women and men are different. We're equal but different. We are equal but different. The yeah. scriptures are very clear about that. Yeah. And in Christ, we are equal but different. Even in Christ, we are equal. But I know Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither right. Greek nor Jew, male nor female. He's not, he's not obliterating the sexes right. because he has different roles for different sexes in other passages of Scripture and most notably here. And so here, biologically, we all know this. Women are different than men in this regard. Women tend to be a little bit more an emotional mm-hmm. person. Men tend to be a little bit more of a logical person. And I'm telling you that both of those are strengths for the respective sexes. Right. They're not weaknesses. Yes. They're not insults. Being more emotional than a man is not a bad thing, ladies. No. And, le- and men, being more logical than women is not a bad thing. Right. But I'm going to tell you that those two, those two emphases separated from each other are a bad thing. Right. If you get a bunch of you get a bunch of men together, and and they're trying to handle children, <laughs> it's going to be mm-hmm. a disaster, right? Because men are not by nature. Not all women are agreeing with you right now. Nurturing beings, that's okay. Yeah, but we're going to get to whether or not mm-hmm. you should agree with me because it's not about me. Exactly. Women exactly. technically are not. Uh, men are technically not gifted in the nurturing quotient mm-hmm. because we're not as emotionally gifted if you will, as yeah. well. Again, they're not a like, bad thing, women. Emotions are not a bad ma- thing. Emotions are not a bad thing. Listen, you women need to help us men connect with that. Right. But you women need us men to help you connect with the logical side mm. of the human brain. The two sexes, the two genders are there to, f- to complete the picture of who we are made in the image of. Yes. God. God who loves and is emotional. He weeps. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And God who is logical. In fact, the word logic comes from the word logos in the Greek, which we get the word word mm-hmm. of God from. The logos of God. And Jesus is the word, the logos. Okay, so when he says they are not permitted to speak, the word here in Greek is the most generic word for common talking in the Greek language. Okay. So he's not talking about prayer. He's not talking about prophecy. He's talking about chatter. <laughs> right. Uh, and by be, chatter, do you mean gossip or just talking? It talk could be gossip. Around? Okay. Some of the commentators I read said it might have been gossip. Mm. It might have been just that they wanted to talk, 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 talk. And it's like, look, the public assembly 
is for people coming in. They want to, you want to make sure that it's effective for right. them and it builds them up. And so it's not an opportunity for you to chat, 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 chat amongst yourselves about what you think the Bible says or what you think scripture means. There is a call for, uh, there is a call for leadership in the church to properly interpret the scriptural record for the generation in which they reside. Right. So yeah. this is not saying women zip it. It is saying women tame the tongue when it comes to the public gathering because emotionally it just comes. It just comes out. Right. This is just a fact. Look, every, everybody knows this. Women like to talk. Men, not so much. Yeah. I come home from my day and the woman wants to talk. Right. How and I want to just say it was fine. Mm-hmm. We have two boys. Same deal. What did you learn today? Nothing. <laughs> Olivia comes home. She wants to talk about every little detail. She loves it because she's, she's a woman. And this is a gift. This is not bad. Right. This is a gift. But it must be curtailed in the, in the gathering. public gathering of the church. Yeah. Okay. And so then he says this is a rule in all the churches. And in the Jewish synagogue worship, here's what happens. So there's a couple of things that might have been happening contextually here. In the Jewish worship uh, atmosphere, in the synagogue worship, there mm-hmm. was men on one side, women on another side. And so what may have happened, some commentators say this, what may have been happening is that the women or the wives on one side of the church were yelling across the aisle to their husbands saying, well, what does that mean? Well, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, I don't know what that means. What, can you explain that to me, honey? I'm trying to figure out what these... T- Imagine if we did that in our services. Yeah. I mean, we'd never get finished in an hour and it 15. Was, yeah. It was chaotic. Yeah. And it was causing distraction. Yeah. So that's possibly what's happening. Right. And so that's why he says in all the churches of the saints, I don't let this happen. Mm. Don't be chattering back and forth across the, the aisle. The second, op- the, the second option, and all these three might be valid, but the second option might be that because in Corinth there was the... Temple of Aphrodite, led by female priests mm-hmm. and female priestesses, or if you will, right. that were doing the teaching of all the ancient pagan spiritual religion of Aphrodite. Sure, Paul was basically saying, we're the church of Jesus Christ, and this is not going to be, we're not going to look like that. Yeah, he's trying to make it different, yeah. you know, look different. My, yeah, we're not going to look like the world, and we're not going to look like pagan religions. I got a bug over here on this table. He's no. gone. Um, third. Crisis. No, it didn't go down. It didn't... Uh, it didn't land on you there, Bria. Don't worry. I see. He's, All right. he's not moving. Anyway, okay. third, <laughs> perhaps. Some order, please. Perhaps this is basically what was happening. Women, because they like to talk and they like to chat, they were doing so in such a way that it was disturbing to the public gathering. And Paul says, this has got to stop. Right. The, the public assembly of the church is for the building up of the body is for the outsider and is for people who need to know the truth of Jesus and hopefully come to Christ. Yeah. So I do also want to be clear too, that there is no scriptural support for women elders and women pastors okay. in the church. It's just, just a fact. Here come the comments. Uh, the comments can come, yeah. but you have to show me a text. Yeah. I'll gladly It's not about how you text. feel. It's about what the Bible says. Right? But 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, this is, Timothy, this is Paul's teaching to Timothy, a pastor in Ephesus. Also, another town, another ancient city, where a Roman temple was okay. uh, existed to a Roman goddess, goddess named Diana, yeah. with women priests. Right. So he says in 1 Timothy 2.11, Let a woman learn quietly in all submissiveness, for I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. 
Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. She will be, she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Okay, not popular, but let me just give you what the text is teaching us. Uh, giving the authority of theological instruction over to the, of the church over to women is not biblical. Okay. It's just a fact. Yeah. Every time Paul brings up the office of bishop or overseer or elder, he has a stipulation. The stipulation goes like this. He must be the husband of one wife. Mm-hmm. So he's talking about men. In 1 Timothy 3.1, he says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone, and that anyone there is in the masculine gender of the Greek text, if anyone aspires to be an officer, to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, but not, not a lover of money. Uh, Titus 1, 5, and 6 Titus 1, 5, and 6, Paul says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and open to public charge of debauchery or insubordination. The ordination or the the, uh, installation of women as pastors and bishops or elders for, for the sake of spiritual leadership and interpretation of the scriptures is not biblical okay and i got good i got good proof yeah <laughs> uh, contemporary proof the church is ordaining women right now yeah and there are churches out there okay they are dying a slow inevitable death these are the ones also marrying gays and compromising the scripture on that and other things out there that the culture says is fine and the church must must bear public witness that no there is another way. Right. There's God's way. Mm-hmm. The Lutherans, the Episcopalians, the Methodists, even some Pentecostal churches now are ordaining into the office of overseer women. Now, let me get really politically incorrect. Oh, boy. Like as if I haven't been already, Chris. Ignore the comments. I, I don't think you've been really. No. But let's talk ahead. about it. Let's because it. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, 2, he says that the woman was deceived, not the man. And the woman became a transgressor. Okay. Yep. Here's why. I'm going to unpack for you why it is male leaders in the church who are given the responsibility of spiritual authority. Paul said it because women are more apt to be deceived by the enemy okay. through their emotions. Yeah. Emotions, you can play on emotions. And emotions can be played. And so emotions can be very deceptive. And this is, by the way, our modern age, which is annihilating the differences of gender and our modern age, which is asking little boys to be more like little girls. This is why everybody's so feelings centric. Yeah. What do you oh, feel well, this like is today? what I feel. This is what I feel. <laughs> no, not feelings. Yeah. Like we've got to grow up and, and get out of what we feel, not what you feel, but what is true. What is right? Yeah. What is historically accurate? Right. What has been historically proven to be true and what has been historically been proven to be false? Yeah, even scientifically true. Yeah. Scientifically true. The church is not a feelings-centric movement. The church is a truth-centric movement. Amen. And truth will sometimes upset your feelings. Yeah. I don't care if your feelings are hurt by the truth. The truth will set you free mm-hmm. from your emotional hang-ups. But God has given men in the church the responsibility to guard the truth, teach the truth, 
and preserve the truth in every age. Look, even the Catholic Church gets this. Yeah. Because as much as there's a call in our modern age for women priests, they ain't doing it. Right, not yet. They know. No, yeah, you're right. They know what the Scripture says. This You can't find an allowance for it. Now, men do not get proud. Mm. Do not start sticking out your chest thinking, that's right, those women got issues and we don't. Yeah. Yes, you do. Of course. Because if there's... If the problem with women is that they are deceived by their emotions, the problem with men is that they are apathetic in regards to spiritual matters. Yeah. Did you, did you catch that? Uh, no, I was reading. Yeah, I'm you were sorry. reading. So yep. listen. Okay. The I'll problem with men is that they are apathetic in regard to spiritual matters. Okay. This yeah. is This has historically yeah. been men's problem. Yeah, I get you. Okay. This is why I am so passionate about raising up young men mm -hmm. because young men today... And in, in, um, I think almost in every age, there has been a lack of desire in men to guard the principles of Scripture, to get engaged in the church, mm. and to lead the church. Yeah. Now, part of that is cultural. Part of that is because we girlified the church. We put flowers everywhere, yep. lace everywhere, yep. you know, doilies everywhere. Nice scents. <laughs> well, we have nice scent. <laughs> I in the know. Church, I'm right? just giving a little jab. And it just doesn't look very manly. Right. We used to we used to have uh, some people who would come into our church. They would put flowers, flood the stage with flowers. I took them off. Good. Yeah. Like, no, you're telling all the men get lost. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Or it's Mother's uh, Day or something. Yeah. And it's like, so there is that cultural element of why men kind of disengage from the church. But here's, here was the scriptural problem mm -hmm. of men. This is the scriptural problem of men. Genesis 3, 6. When the woman is being deceived by the serpent, right. do you know who's sitting right next to her yeah. while that's happening? The man. Mm -hmm. Doing nothing. Right. Being adult with his, you know, with his... <laughs> Playing with his animals. Yeah, playing with his animals. I don't know what he's doing. His rake, his garden Sitting on hoe. his butt. Yeah. And he's saying nothing. Here, here's, the here's the scripture, verse 6 of Genesis 3. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And right. he ate. He was with her while the serpent was deceiving her. Now, why is that important? Here's why it's important. Read Genesis 2. From beginning to end, look at the order of experiences. God creates the garden. God creates the man. God tells the man, created alone so far. Right. You can eat anything you want except that one tree. Yeah, so he knew. He knew. He, he knew. was. Listen, he was given the word. Right. He was given the command. Mm -hmm. Then God puts him to sleep, and God pulls out his rib, makes a woman, gives him a wife, wakes him up, says, here's your wife. Aha, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is, you shall be called woman. Right. And therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. And Paul says, this is a picture of the church mm -hmm. in Ephesians chapter five. Okay. And so what you have is the woman comes into life after the man has been given the directive of God for mm -hmm. how the garden is to be governed. Okay. It was his responsibility to disseminate to the woman oh, the good. truth of God's word and Guess what he did? He failed. Yeah. He didn't teach her properly. Yes. Yeah. He failed. So you have in Christ a new Adam. Right. A new Adam who passes the test of the garden. Mm -hmm. Where did he suffer? Where did he cry out tears of, uh, where did he cry and sweat drops of blood? Yeah. In the garden. In the garden. Mm -hmm. 
And then, by the way, where did he get risen to life again? In the yeah. garden tomb. Yeah, with the gardener. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. He is the true and better Adam yep. who does not blame or does not ignore his wife while she's deceived. He rescues his wife with truth. Amen. So you say, well, Pastor, what does this have to do with the church? Because the church is a picture mm. of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And the church is a picture of how God has designed men and women to cooperate in regards to his revealed truth to man. Right. And in that scenario, it is very clear from Genesis all the way through Revelation that it is men who must lead and feed women in the truth of God. Mm -hmm. That's what this text is telling us. That's why Paul says, stay silent. In submission, learn. Wait till you get home with your husbands and ask them. Let them be your spiritual leaders. Let them guide you in the truth of the word. This is a reflection of Christ and his church. And when we abdicate that reflection, we do a disservice to the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you something, the church's life dries up. Its public witness is, in, is disempowered and it does not make a powerful impact on society. Yeah, I am telling you, I have proof from our context today in modern America. The churches that are dying right now are the churches that have abandoned God's principles for male leadership in the church in regards to God's doctrine. Now, all that said, let me make something very clear. Mm -hmm. A woman can do anything else. She can run a Fortune 500 company. Yeah. The Bible says nothing about that. So go out there and run a Fortune 500 company. Yeah. A woman can start her own business. A woman can, leaders, yeah. in the church, a woman can pray and prophesy. Yeah. Okay? She's got to do so with improper order and respect, as, you know, we talked about in 1 Corinthians sure. 11. A woman can witness. A woman can be an evangelist to unreached people groups, as mm. the Samaritan woman is, as Lydia is. But in the public, in the officiated office of the church, it is a different story. Mm -hmm. The church must reflect the picture of Christ and his bride and so, you know, this, again, it, it, the text and the scriptures have nothing to say about women in business, women in leadership, in the world, in the endeavors of the marketplace, in schools, in education, nothing to say. But in biblical instruction for Christ's church, God has demanded of men the responsibility and the tenacity to preach the truth of God's word accurately. Right. And that, my friends, is biblical. Amen. You cannot argue with it. Do you know why? Do you know why you cannot argue with it? Because Paul says you can't argue with it. <laughs> it's true. So look at verse 36, because right, I know he, puts, he was probably feeling the same you know, tension I'm feeling while I'm unpacking this. Yeah. Because he says in the very next verse, was it from you that the word of God came? Like Corinthians, you think I'm wrong? Let me ask you something. Did the word of God come from you? Right. No. Did it, did, are you the only ones it has reached? And so, in other words, Corinthians, think outside of your own little box here. And I would say to American women who are having a hard time say, with what I'm saying, you have to start thinking outside of your little box because mm. you're in the box of Americanism. And I said this on Sunday in regards to another thing, but I want to say it in regards to this today. The church is not called to be American. Right. The church is not called to be Western. Mm. The church is called to be biblical. Right. 
And I don't care what anybody says about how we do church. If we're doing it biblically, we're going to do it that way, whether or not people like it. Amen. We do not need the public. We do not need the opinion or the popular opinion of our public gatherings to have church the way God said to have church. I'm telling you that if we give church to the world the way God wants church to be given to the world, it will make a profound difference right. in the world. Yeah. We need to challenge men to step it up in the church, yeah. to be leaders in their home, to be the ones who wake up the family and get them into the house of God on, on Sunday or, or on Saturday night. Yeah. If you're still sleeping on Saturday night, you have problems, unless you work third shift. But nonetheless, <laughs> <laughs> we need to challenge men to step up in spiritual leadership, men to step up in, in teaching and preaching the word of God, men to consider, has God placed a call of, of preaching and teaching and pastoring on my life? Yeah. We need more of this, not less. Right. And the problem is today, and this is, this is not just in regards to leadership. This is in regards to almost anything. The church takes its cues from the world. Yeah, and it's true. Not, and, and we are not ever called to play nice with the world. Right. Friends, the world's never going to like Christianity. Nope. Can we just get over that? Yeah. Can we just like get over the idea that the pagans need to approve of how we practice our faith? I'm going to tell you something. The Muslims don't give a rip about how we think about their faith. It's true. And we Christians are sitting here saying, oh, I wish that the world would like us more. Who cares if they like us? Yeah. They aren't called to like us. No, pagans will always hate us. Read the book of Acts. They despised the church. They persecuted them. They chased them out of town. They stoned Paul. They whipped him. They abused him. They, they ransacked him. They robbed him. They backstabbed him. And he still fought for the gospel. And he said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen. My friends... This movement is not called to be popular. So if you have a problem with what I'm telling you from the word of God, you do not have a problem with me. You have a problem with the word of God. That's true. So then he says, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he, he should acknowledge that what I am saying to you is the command of the Lord. And if anyone does not recognize this, Paul comes down really hard. He says, he is not recognized. Ouch. Mm. Paul's like, there's no argument here. Right. Men should be leading the church doctrinally, and women should be listening and following the lead. You're not arguing with Paul. You're arguing with God. Yeah. 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 So, uh, again, where are we as a culture? We are, we are in the, what are we, in the second or third generation from the sexual revolution of the 1960s. Mm -hmm. And ladies, just listen to me for a second. Let me just talk about something outside of the biblical text for a moment, but just talk about our context. The sexual revolution was a complete failure for women. It was a complete failure for yeah. women. Today, we have things like sex trafficking in this country. Right. In this country. Yeah. You know, Sean uh, Carew down at the Providence Rescue Mission. Right. He's right now engaged in rescuing teenage girls in Providence, Rhode Island yeah. from sex traffickers. Yeah. It's down the street from us, friends. Yeah. This is what's come to America. Why? Because we've made sex God. Right. I say this all the time. Darwin eliminated God. And Freud came in and made sex God. It's true. That's what happened. Yeah. So the sexual revolution, complete failure. We have sex trafficking. We have pornography at rampant rates. And who's the, who's the object of pornography? Women. Yeah. And who, what kind of women? Young women. Right. Almost, uh, almost children. Yeah. It's yeah. disgusting. It's not empowering. I it's mean, not it's empowering. Disrespectful. It's disrespectful. It's disgusting. Women. Yeah. Uh, infertilization. Higher now amongst women than oh, in the wow. 1960s. You know why? Because they want a career first, then they want to have babies later. Yeah. And it's fine if you want to have a career first, but just understand that the, the older you get, the less chance you have of getting pregnant. Sure. There is a certain biological structure to the family that was designed by God, 
and is most beneficial for human flourishing. It's mm-hmm. just a fact. Yeah. You know, we want to avoid science. We want to, we want to deny science. And that's fine. You can do that. But then don't complain to God when you don't do things the way he has designed you to do things and it doesn't work out. Right. <laughs> anyway, um, there's less happiness. I found this uh, article, a guy by the name of Bruce Weidick, mm-hmm. an economist at the University of San Francisco. Okay. So this is not exactly a harbinger of no. conservative Christian thought. No, right? San Francisco. But an sure. uni- economist from the University of San Francisco specializing in family relationships explains That because of the different ways men and women value sexuality, a world where social norms dictate that sex and commitment uh, go together is a world that upholds the happiness and dignity of women. In other words, he says, if you have sex and commitment together, firmly established in marital unions, women are happier and women are more respected. Wow. He says the revolution that brought sexual revolution, sexual freedom, the revolution that brought sexual freedom allowed women to unwittingly undercut each other in the competition for men, providing men greater access to more sex for lower and lower levels of commitment Mm. to the obvious benefit of men. Women thus became weaker players in the sexual marketplace and men became stronger. You know the original curse of God to Adam and Eve after they sin? He says to the woman, your desire shall be for your husband and he will rule over you. That's the result of the curse. Mm. That's not God's intention. That's the result of sin in us. Women will want to desire their husband, and the men will rule over them. That is a result of the curse. And, and we think sexual revolution, f- sexual freedom, oh, we're empowering women. No, you're not. You're empowering men to subjugate women. And the, tr- and the, f- and the results are out there. And he concludes, women's sexual freedom has become the greatest thing. Uh, women's sexual freedom became the greatest thing that ever happened to men who wanted as much sex as possible with as little commitment as possible and hence made women much worse off. Thus he calls for the embrace of... This fr- thus he calls the embrace of this freedom by the women's movement a mistake of incalculable magnitude for women. Wow. And in 2009, a study conducted by the Wharton School of Uni- at, the, at the University of Pennsylvania finds that women's happiness has fallen absolutely and relatively to men's throughout much of the industrialized world for the past 35 years, even as women's social gains have increased. Why am I sharing all this? I'm sharing all this to say that God speaks to the genders. Right, and he says there's differences, and these differences are to be celebrated. They are not to be, con- they are yeah. not to be dissolved. They are dissolved at your own peril, and so we don't want to follow the dictates of our culture or context. The heavens and earth shall pass away, friends, and the word of God shall still remain. Let's go with God's word. Amen. Let's listen to what He has to say. And Paul is being very strong here, and so am I, because we have to teach what God reveals in His word. Yeah. Uh, that being said, Christianity and women, let me just cut to the chase about this. There has been no religious faith on the planet that has empowered women right, more. more than Christianity. Amen, yeah. Jesus empowered women. He had women in his inner circle, not amongst the 12 disciples, again, because right. it's male leadership in the church mm-hmm. for the doctrinal uh, teaching of the word of God. But he had Mary sitting at his feet, mm. listening to him. Uh, the first person to hear of his resurrection was yeah. Mary Magdalene. Who, she, who he sends to the disciples to tell them. Right. You know those guys are probably sleeping in. Please tell them I'm alive. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, it is uh, Priscilla and Aquila who accompany Paul. That's a married couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, is the, it is the noble women who are saved in Athens. It is the noble women who provide for Paul's ministry needs. It is the noble women who provide for Jesus' ministry needs. Women have been empowered. The women's suffrage movement, okay, the right to vote, was led by a Christian woman. Right, okay. A a Christian, by the way, pro-life woman. Yeah. 
Uh, what was her name? I'm trying to think of her name. Uh. Woman suffrage. I can't think. Of, skip my, skip my head right now. Uh, anyway, it's a great point though that there's nothing you know. Yeah, Christianity for women more Christianity than any other religion. Christianity has women more than any other religion. There is a religion, friends, and I'm sure Facebook is about to cut me off. No oh boy, that does not empower women. And for some reason, this country is obsessed with embracing this religion as equal to all others. And that religion is Islam. It's true. Islam has subjected and and tormented the female species for as long as it has been around. Yeah, and they are right now. And they are still to this day. Yeah. And we have to get back to Christian principles. We have to get back to our churches, friend. We have to get back to empowering men to lead women in the Christian faith that sets them free and empowers them. Yeah. Does not subjugate them. And we have to teach the word of God whether people like it or not. Amen. First Corinthians 14, 39, the last verse we're going to read. So my brothers earnestly desire prophecy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but in all things should be done decent and in order. That is what Paul is saying. It is about decency. It's about order. And women, you love to chat. You love to chat. And the church gathering is not a place for you to chat about whether or not you agree with the text. Mm-hmm. Just like today. It's not a place for you to say, well, I don't think. <laughs> Yeah. Not really worried about what you think. It's not about what you think. We're going to tell you what it says. Yeah. And if you want to reject it, that's completely up to you. In fact, uh, usually people do reject it. More people reject it than accept it. That's the sad reality of the scriptures. Mm. But we're going to teach it anyway. And, uh, but at the, uh, at the other end of that is if you receive it, man, the blessings, the empowerment, the life that it gives you. It's true. The word of God is true. Let God be true. Let every man be a liar. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Deep End Podcast. My name is Tim Hatch from Waters Church. With me was Chris McEwen, our director of pastoral care. We'll see you this weekend. Mm. God bless you. This was the Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's Deep End Podcast. We pray that you continue to grow in your faith and that you would serve and support your local church. If you don't already have a church home, we invite you to join us this weekend at Waters Church. We are located at 57 John Deach Square in North Attleboro, Massachusetts. And you can join us every Saturday at 4 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. Make sure to stay tuned in for next week's episode of The Deep End Podcast.